I was, uh, last Sunday, Sunday evening I think it was, I was having a, a chat uh, on the, with an internet friend, a young man from uh, Rwanda, which is in the middle of Africa, and I've never met him personally, but uh, spoken to him a number of times. He's a Seventh-day Adventist, and uh, one of the comments he made to me, because we were discussing uh, the law and so forth, as you would with a Seventh-day Adventist, and he said, uh, you're an Adventist except for the fact of the Sabbath. <laughs> well, I didn't think much of that comment, <laughs> because there's no way I'm going to be worried about his particular Sabbath anyway. But I, I wanted to uh, give him a, a message, basically, some, some truth, a little bit of hard truth, you might say. In fact, I haven't heard from him this week, so... I don't know how he's taken this, but I'm going to read to you what I actually sent to him. And uh, from this, it's the basis of, of the sermon that I want to uh, present. And I said to him, You are trying to say to God that because you keep the laws so well, that you are worthy to enter into heaven. You are not worthy, no matter how well you keep the law. It is not about you, it is about Jesus. Your part is to have faith in him. He keeps the law. He keeps the festivals. He keeps the Sabbath. We have faith in him doing all these things and therefore are made right with God through faith. And our faith causes us to be fruitful of the spirit of life because the spirit leads, guides and teaches us in all truth. <laughs> I've been carrying this for a whole week or so, so I'm quite emotional about the whole thing. And uh, there's a lot more that could be added into that, but this was to impact him in particular uh, because of the law. And uh, you know, the human race is under the law of sin and death. It tells us that in Romans 8 2. And the only one that can get us out of this situation is God himself. We can't do it for ourselves. And uh, there was a great example I'd like to use in regard to the depth of our situation, which was very uh, much uh, the world saw it, and it was to do with those boys that were trapped in the cave in Thailand. I'm sure you remember, I think there was about 13 of them. And there was absolutely no way that they could get out or do anything for themselves. They had to wait for someone to come and rescue them from outside of that cave. And that's just like our situation we are hopelessly stuck in this situation and without someone from outside of this situation coming and opening the way for us to get out, we're doomed and done. And that's what it was like with those boys. They had to wait for someone to come in who had the ability to get them out. And uh, that's what happened. So for us, there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. We have to put our trust in Jesus doing for us what we cannot do. That begins with Jesus satisfying the law of sin and death. A sinless man 
dying for sinful man and as a result opening the way for souls of man to be saved from eternal death. And death means separation, eternal separation from God. If those boys had not followed those who came to rescue them, those that were their saviour, so to speak, they would have remained separated from their families. They would never have known the joy of the outside world again. If we refuse Jesus, we will remain separated from God, the Father of all creation, and we would remain lost and separated. In the Old Testament, the Israelites were called to keep a number of festivals and Sabbaths, which were a shadow of what Jesus was going to keep. And you find those festivals and Sabbaths in Leviticus 23. Jesus being the substance from which the shadow was cast. In the death and resurrection of Jesus, we see a number of these festivals being fulfilled, and he will fulfill the rest of them at his return. Jesus not only satisfied the law of sin and death, but also satisfies uh, the other things that God requires in regard to these festivals. Things that uh, we cannot successfully keep. In Colossians 2.16 and 17, it, it alludes to this. It says, So let no one judge you in food or drink, or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come but the substance is of Christ. All the festivals and the Sabbaths are for Jesus to keep, not us. In John 15, 5, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and, and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And the word abide I looked up in the Strongs and it says to stay in a given place, in a particular state, or in a relationship, or in expectancy. To abide, to continue, to dwell, to endure, to present, to remain, to stand, to tarry. It means all those things. Those boys in the cave had to abide. They had to continue and to endure with their rescuers until they were able to see the outside world again. And that's the same with us. And we've heard it mentioned a couple of times. I think it was Pat that mentioned about enduring with Christ. We have to abide while he accomplishes our rescue. We have to endure. We have to remain. We have to stand. We have to tarry. Keeping festivals does not cause us to bring forth fruit, but keeping faith in Jesus does. Jesus kept the Passover by being the Passover lamb. He kept the festival of unleavened bread by being unleavened, that is, without sin. It's interesting, and I find it interesting at least, that that festival of unleavened bread goes for seven days. And God created everything in six days and then had a day of rest. That's seven days. The unleavened life of, of God, of Christ, covers from beginning to the end of God's creation time, if I can put it that way. 
Jesus kept the first fruits by becoming the first fruits. That is the first one to be raised in the sense of uh, the salvation of souls. He kept the festival of harvest by being the offering to God and through which the Holy Spirit was able to come. And there are still three festivals to come. The festival of trumpets which heralds his return. Also the day of atonement for he has atoned for all up to that day and, uh, and finally the festival of shelters which is the tabernacle or God tabernacling with his people. All these he does. We simply stand in faith in him doing it all and that through him we see all God's requirements satisfied and the devil loses all charge over us in the process. Because we are found in Christ through our faith, through, through abiding, through standing and enduring with him, the devil has no hand upon us anymore. He can annoy us but he can't have us. So our faith has to be in the gospel. The true gospel says that you are a sinner and you will be put to death. You will die. That's bad news. But the good news is that through Jesus, you can reckon yourselves dead to the flesh and through his resurrection, you may be given new life. Without the resurrection, his death would be fruitless because he's the first fruits, the raised fruits. Death itself doesn't bring fruitfulness. He was raised so others could follow and through water baptism, we are united with him in his resurrection. And all this is done through faith and with faith. When a soul is thirsty for life, or whether it's thirsty for love, or whether it's thirsty for truth, then the heart of that soul is ready to hear the gospel and gain the revelation of the truth of his death, burial and resurrection. And Stuart mentioned the revelation that we need. It's not just knowledge that we need. We need the revelation of his death, burial and resurrection because it has to be personal to ourself. Your thirsty soul is craving life and through the word of God and his Holy Spirit, your soul is able not only to be saved but sustained and strengthened. And that's really the focus that I want to come to uh, towards the end of this sermon is how do we stay strengthened and, and continue to be strengthened. And, of course, it begins with thirst. Your soul wants life, and for that you must be born again. Through faith in Jesus and all that he is and all that he has done and is indeed still to do. Having come to Christ with a repentant heart and knowing him as Lord and Saviour, you then come to that place where faith causes much change in you. There is a change of attitude. There's a change of thinking. There's a change of understanding. There's a change of speech, the things we say. 
There's a change of approach to situations and people. Much of it is, is now dealt with in prayer. We change how we deal with things. There's a change of heart. Faith changes everything. And so God is working on us through faith in his word. That is our faith in his word. If we believe it, then we act according to what it says. We are to speak according to what it says uh, for us to say. And just as an example of, of the change and, and of, of what we hear the word say, we are to use our words to edify one another. It says in 1 Corinthians 8.1, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And again, Stuart, Pastor Stuart mentioned about knowledge this morning. The law kills, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And we've seen much of that this morning, of the edification of one another, of praying for one another, lifting one another up doing those spiritual things that help us and encourage us. In Romans 14.19, it says, Therefore let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. To pursue it. We cannot keep doing and saying things just because that's how we have done it in the past. Our old life and old ways were not according to the love of God. So the word and the spirit are given to us to help that we may act according to God's standards. The word gives life, so we speak according to the word in order that life may be spoken to others. We speak life-giving words and we speak it in love. Because love edifies and it is through the leading of the Holy Spirit that we gain the help that we need to be able to do that. Because as it says, the flesh profits nothing. The flesh can do nothing without the Lord, without his spirit. It is by the leading of the spirit that we are able to bring life and light and truth to every person and to every situation in which we walk. In John 6, 63, it says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Pursue the things of the Spirit, for in this you will be able to edify others. It's not about our fleshly ability. It's about receiving by the Spirit and the Spirit moving in us and through us to bring that word that has been birthed in us to life, that it brings it out. It's no longer us trying to do it. It's the Holy Spirit that moves us and motivates us to speak life-giving words, to speak in love one to another. With all these changes, we find many challenges because the faith is changing our life, changing our understanding. We need to realise that our soul is thirsty for God because of the spirit life that has been birthed in us. 
and it cries out, Abba, Father. The spirit in us is crying out for more of the Lord, for his presence, for his love, for his communion, for us to be with him. As a child loves being with their parent, so we are to be with God. In Romans 8.15 it says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by which, by whom, sorry, we cry out, Abba, Father. We haven't got that spirit of bondage. We've received the spirit of adoption. John 4.24 says, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And this is what I see as the key of, of being able to continue to walk in the ways of the Spirit. To give yourself the time to look to Him and adore Him. For in Him and through Him is all you need to satisfy your soul. Adoration means to have a great love and respect. It is reverence and worship. The desire to worship God must take over from the ways of the flesh. Every time you sense your emotions breaking down or your thoughts become depressive or negative or fearful or lustful, realise that your soul is saying to you, it's thirsty for more of God because it's starting to get oppressed by the things of the flesh and the operations of the flesh, the carnality of our mind. Those who worship him must Worship in spirit and in truth. The flesh profits nothing. Your soul includes your emotions, your will and your mind, or at least that's what I'm led and, and taught to believe, and I have no argument with that. In order for your soul to be strengthened, you need to have your emotions healed and your mind needs to be renewed so as to be transformed in your attitude and your understandings of life. You can now be mindful of the word of God because you've been given the mind of Christ. You can focus on God now. And your will needs to be yielded to do his good pleasure. In Philippians 2.13 it says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. And his good pleasure is for you to be adopted as his son by Jesus, or through Jesus, to be adopted. That's God's will for your life. Will you bow to that will? Will you yield to that will that you become his adopted child, his adopted son? Through adoration and praise and worship and thanksgiving, you find the soul being satisfied. Look to him. Glorify him in your heart. When we do the things that are of the spirit, we get the spiritual result. The flesh and the issues from this world pull us down. We all know that. But praise and adoration towards God lifts you up 
The grace of God is upon us to be able to have this intimacy. Even though you may have sinned, his grace is given so you may still come to him and receive all the help you need in your time of weakness. Hebrews 4.16 tells us that. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When your soul is thirsty, when you recognise your soul is thirsty, you're in need. You're in great need. And it's only the spirit that can satisfy. It's only the spirit that can lift up. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How much more will he help us now? In Romans 8.35 it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? And in verse 38 it goes on and says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angel, nor principalities, nor powers, and that's talking about the demonic powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. I'm sorry, gets to me. (laughs) Shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. So rather than feeling miserable because of your failure or your sin, or if you're under heaviness of heart or troubled emotions, rather than continuing in misery or sorrow, use it as a sign that your soul is thirsty for what God has for you. Thirst for his presence and the love that lifts you in spirit. Through adoration, through worship, through praise and thanksgiving, let your heart be filled and lifted to be able to drink in the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of life, to strengthen you, to heal you, to encourage you and even to deliver you. Seek him. Be intimate with God through your expression of deep desire for him. Seeking to look upon the glory, upon his glory. Fill the eyes of your heart with him. Your soul has a spiritual life source through which it is able to be filled to overflowing with the love and the abundance of God's riches and glory. Don't hesitate to worship, to adore, to praise or to give thanks to the Lord. Not with some sort of false humility that says, I'll show people how godly I am. Praise you, Lord. Let it be of the heart, of the genuineness of your love toward him because of everything that he's done and is doing for you. Get into a deep relationship with God. Realise how much he has blessed you and how much he wants to bless you further. There's always more with God. He loves you and he wants to overflow you with the abundance of himself. 
recognise your soul's thirst and allow it to drink in the wonders of the Lord through adoration of him. Let it be verbal. Let it be expressive. Don't let it just be a thought. Let it be outgoing. And it's the challenge to do it, not just when we come together, when we sing praise and and give thanks to him as a collective, but when you're alone at home and the challenges of life are pushing you around. Know that your soul is crying out for more of the Lord because the flesh and the things of the flesh are, are pressing against you, trying to push you down. It says that the flesh wars against the soul. And we have a life source that our soul can reach out to, to cry out to, and to praise and give thanks, knowing what he's done for us already, because all of us are believers already. But our soul still gets thirsty. It still needs to be in communication with him. It still needs to know how to reach up to him. And so that's what I give to you today. Be thirsty. Recognise your thirst and allow yourself the time and the opportunity to stop wherever you are, whatever you're doing, and to give praise and thanksgiving to him, that he may fill you, that he may help you, that he may uplift you, that he may encourage you, that his love may edify you. Blessing of the Lord be with you, each and every one. Let's give praise to the Lord. Father, we just thank you for the love that you are, for the joy that we have in in knowing Jesus as Lord and Saviour of our souls. And Lord, with genuineness of heart, we give you praise, we give you thanksgiving. We do adore you, Lord. We open our heart to you, that you may smile upon us and that we may be smiling back to you. Your love is true, your love is genuine. And I pray our love for you is the same. Bless you and thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.